0: Have you ever missed an important email because of your overloaded inbox? Wading through forests of unread emails, tons of newsletters, and follow-ups to find the one is a very frustrating experience. Seeing the number of unread emails growing every day is stressful, and taking the time to go through everything is a waste. So the folks at Clean Email came up with a cleaning solution, and it is a real game-changer. First, Clean Email organizes all of your emails into smart views, like social notifications, newsletters, unread emails, emails from project management tools, emails from dead ends, top senders, and on and on. This way, with Clean Email, you can quickly take care of those thousands of emails in your mailbox, marking them as read, archiving them, labeling and moving them around by hundreds or thousands at once. And then you can set up auto-clean filters to automatically archive or move emails around as they arrive. For example, one feature I really like is the ability to auto-archive emails as they become older than a couple of months, and use smart unsubscriber to keep your mailbox clean from newsletters and noisy marketers. Clean email was designed with your privacy and security of your data in mind. Since they are in the business of providing a great service in exchange for a fair fee, they guarantee to not sell or analyze your data. They are verified by Yahoo and Google and support all email providers out there visit clean.email forward slash productivity and get 50% off the five accounts annual package. Again, that's clean.email forward slash productivity. You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today.
1: I think the challenge for a lot of people is they they compare, they see what other people are doing, they beat themselves up because they're not you know doing that. And I think it Or doing what they think they should be doing. And I think until you can, I think until you can accept that, you know, what you have right now, you know, what you've built right now is enough, you know, enough is never going to be enough. Um, and so that's why that one's really important to me because I see a lot of people struggle with that. And, you know, what are we really trying to do? I mean, in, in this thing, ultimately, what impact are we trying to have? We don't, we, we, we sort of lose sight of that when what we're doing is, is changing what we think will make us happy someday.
0: That was John Jance, a marketing consultant, speaker, and author of Duct Tape Marketing, The Referral Engine, Duct Tape Selling, and many other books. He's been one of my go-to teachers for marketing for small businesses for years, but in this episode, we're not talking about marketing. We're discussing his new book, The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur, and how he found inspiration for this book in the work of authors from the Romantic period in American literature. We also discuss the pillars of self-reliance, which all of us need generally, but especially right now. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. All right, John, thanks so much for joining me on Productive Flourishing. I'm really pumped to talk about this book um, your your new book, the self-reliant entrepreneur. But before I jump into it, you know you've published five other books besides this one, and most of them have been um, some combination of sales, um, marketing, um, through through both you know strategic level and and sort of tactical level. And so when I saw this particular type of book come from you, I'm like, huh, that's super interesting. I wonder what led him to this book. So how did this book choose you or how did you choose the book? Sometimes it's one way or the other.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really great way to say it. And you're absolutely right. My <clears throat> five previous books were all about how to do some aspect of marketing. And I think there's probably a sense of, um, if I'm being honest, I just didn't want to write more how-to uh, for for the moment anyway. And <clears throat> it's because I, you know you you go to YouTube and I mean you can you find out how to do anything. I think what's probably missing, especially in the entrepreneur space, is you know why to. I mean the kind of. Mindset of what it takes to do this every day, and I'm I'm coming up on 30 years uh, as an entrepreneur. I still love every minute of what I get to do, um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that that I've treated my entrepreneurial journey as as a you know self development program <laughs> for for that entire time. And uh, so, in a lot of ways, this book, um, and I guess it's at the table. I mean, it's a daily meditations. It's really more of it, you don't even have to be an entrepreneur. It's more about like thoughts on living, I suppose, and just kind of gives it, gives you a thought, you know, about how, how to be more self reliant as a human being um, that you can then take back in, into your business every single day. And so it's almost more like a, I, I refer to it as more like a practice uh, than a book, and and kind of the daily format sort of sets that up. Um, a lot of times, when people ask me, you know, what took you there, um, I, you know, part of it was the sense of I just didn't feel at the moment like I could write another book on, you know, how to do something, but but I also, you know, I've worked with thousands of small business owners, and you know, it's under the name or the umbrella of marketing. But when you work with a small business owner, you know who they're being is a big part of their marketing. And so I feel like I've over the years gotten into stuff that you would never you know qualify in a traditional sense as marketing on helping people you know build their brand, get their life back. And uh, so you know I, I guess in some ways, I feel like I've you know I've been experiencing what I put in this book you know for a couple decades now.
0: I really appreciate you saying that because one of the things that I'll often tell entrepreneurs and business owners is the amount of life that you end up getting packed into the business owner sort of entrepreneurial journey is a lot because you do more in three to five years than people in most normal careers will do in a decade or sometimes two, right? Um, the hiring, okay. the firing, the you know the booms, the busts, the successes, you know, all the different things, and it's in this compressed period of time, um, okay. and it's. It, It doesn't have to be a personal development journey, but it turns out that it is for most of us, right? Well, I think if you're going to
1: survive, you know, because it's hard. It's physically hard. It's mentally hard. You have to force yourself sometimes to, to you know, be extremely uncomfortable and because the job called for, you know, you to go there. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just think whether you treat it as a personal development, it's probably going to be one.
0: <laughs> it's probably going to be one. And sometimes the hardest things that, that I've seen, and, and we'll probably talk about this as it comes to some of the insights from the book, is, um, I think as entrepreneurs and business owners, we think a lot about the struggle and about the failure and what that, may, what that may reap for us. But sometimes the hardest changes are pivoting from success or redefining your brand. You know, every three to five years, you're going to go through some sort of market evolution, some sort of brand evolution. And it can be incredibly hard to go into this space to where you're not the big dog and you know on the porch anymore, you're not the master and you're you're having to learn and struggle all over again. And so that's where I think the the idea of being self reliant and understanding self-reliant and understanding there's like no there where you figured it all out, right? This is not a finite game to sort of to go to that where you like you get you get the prize, you're done and you live happily ever after it's like you get the prize and you realize you're playing a different game.
1: Yeah, as I was working on this book, and just in even since the books come out, I, you know, I, th- I think there are practices, as I call them, um, or kind of pillars of self-reliance, and one of them definitely is resilience, um, and and the ability, you know, not to just say, "Gosh dang it," I'm going to get up there and go out another day. It's 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 a combination of that, of course, but I think it's also the ability to reframe what's happened um, as not like, "Okay, I, I failed," or this is a bad idea, but like, okay, this thing I tried, you know, didn't work for this reason. Um, and so now I'm going to try it this way. And I think that I think successful entrepreneurs quite often have that ability to kind of look at things at a very, you know, micro level rather than global level um, and and kind of reframe what happened.
0: Oh, that's juicy. So you have pillars of self-reliance. So now I want to hear more. So what are the pillars of self-reliance or sort of the, what the themes go under that, that thick concept that you've got?
1: So I've identified seven that for me, you know, others may read the book and go, "Oh, I'm I'm hearing, you know, more than that." But uh, trust, courage, curiosity, mindfulness, non-judgment, resilience and gratitude. Now, I suspect that you could probably go find some uh, Buddhist writings <laughs> that would have a lot of those in them as well. <laughs>
0: Well, any basically any of the world's um, spiritual or religious traditions that have survived are going to have those because I think those are sort of core universal um, themes that that it just takes to be a thriving human, um, and you know entrepreneurs are human, therefore you know they need those same sort of themes over and over again. So, um, for instance, you can see those same sort of things in Stoicism,
1: which I know is also trending right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I think it's I think it's more than just identifying them, though. Um, I think it's the in, intentional application a, as well. You know, it's nice to have this list and say, oh, yeah, you got to have self trust, but you know, you have to then define, you know, what does that mean? And mostly to me, it means letting go of of everything you can't control, uh, which um, scarily is most. Of what goes on. Uh, I mean, I I I think entrepreneurs who trust themselves fully realize that um, that how they show up and how they respond are about the only two things that they can truly control. Um, And uh, and and I think when you get to that point, you know, then you stop worrying about what other people do, what other people say. You know, who says you know, or nobody's done that before. Why would you try that? I mean, that's the level of self-trust that I think uh, comes from, you know, this kind of thinking, or at least uh, that's my view.
0: Well, absolutely. And, you know, you reach a certain point in business to where you let go of the idea that, for instance, if you're thinking about sales and clients, at a certain point, you don't know who's going to hire you six months from now. You can't know that, right? Yeah. But you have right. to trust that you will be hired six months from now, right? Because you, you have enough track record to know that every other period of my business, I've been hired. I've been, you know, I've been busy and so on and so forth. And so you just get to the point it's like, you know what? I don't need to know who is going to hire me. Yeah. I, just need to, I just need to trust that I will be hired or that I will have customers, and that's enough.
1: Yeah, and, and and I kind of um I've never been a big goal setter. Um, and I know that's heresy for you know some people to to say and hear, but I think the challenge I have with it is a lot of times your your higher example, a lot of people are like I have a by this kind of company, you know, in this city. And and then they get just so attached to like making that happen. And they miss like the, the incredible opportunities that the universe presents that were probably a better path. <laughs> so getting hired was was certainly the or getting a job that they loved, you know, was probably certainly the the ultimate objective. But how you get there, that's what you got to let the universe work on.
0: And And speaking of letting the universe work on and things take in a different direction, I'm super curious because you know one of the things that a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners will tell me is that you know there's all these things they need to do and and reading the books and practicing the book is one of those things that never seems to make the cut. Um, and it seems, especially when we start talking about you know, our ability to sell tactics and techniques and marketing and sales, like people will buy that pretty quickly because they see the relationship between yeah. that action and the payoff. So we're talking you know, about mindset and self-reliance, yeah. and that can be a harder sell, a harder sell not for us to sell, but for people to say, how am I going to sit down and read this book and take practice? So what's the payoff of doing it?
1: Yeah, I, I tell you, I, I would I would agree on the surface, but I feel like we're in this weird time now where people are everybody rushed out to start businesses. You know, when I started my business, it meant you couldn't get a job, usually. Um, and so, you know, I started my own thing. Now everybody wants to do it. Everybody is doing it. And I think there's sort of this collective exhaustion out there uh, about, you know, all the hustle and, you know, stuff that people have been promoting. And and I think and, and I'm... and uh, you know, I'm not um, naive. I think part of it is the cultural and political, um, you know, divide that that you know is bombarding us, uh, you know, daily as well. But I think there's this. I think there's this kind of moment in history where people are like, you know, we need to step back, slow down, <laughs> turn off the distractions, start paying attention to you know the things that you know are right in front of us, um, and so I. I do see a lot of people. You know, you see some books. You mentioned. I think you mentioned when we were on the air, uh, stoicism. You know, I think I think that kind of people are kind of seeking out some of these older philosophies. And and you know, what I um, borrowed from in my book is, uh, if people don't recognize the title, uh, there's a Ralph Waldo Emerson essay called Self- Reliance. And so I borrowed that from the title and actually the all the pages contained some literature from that same time frame, uh, which to me was one of the greatest uh, sort of entrepreneurial literature uh, times in in American history
0: absolutely and as i said in the green room um given my background in philosophy and how much work i do with mindset and just slowing down you know it's one of those things that people come to me from the productivity side and they're like i want to do more like i need to do more and i'm like maybe <laughs> actually you don't right yeah. maybe you're already doing too much yeah. um and maybe we need to practice on doing less but more focused on the things that truly truly matter to you and letting the rest go which is, you know, as you mentioned in the introduction, um, it's a bit of a countercultural message, right? Yeah. Um, the, the, in the entrepreneurial landscape, it's a countercultural message to say, you know what, maybe we don't need to hustle and grind as much. Maybe we need to sit back and say, okay, like, w- you know, we, need, we can be more minimalist, or we can be more intentional, or we can be more um, soulful about the way that we do things. It's totally counter- countercultural.
1: Yeah, and it's funny I I use that word in the book because the the uh, transcendentalists uh, the writers that I cite that was probably uh, one of the first countercultural periods in America. I mean, we were on the cusp of the Civil War. Women were trying to get the right to vote. We were trying to abolish the legal act of slavery. Um, it was kind of the first time uh, that uh, writers, preachers, uh, people that were you know out um, kind of spreading the word were were overtly starting to say, "Hey, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, maybe we don't need to list." to our forefathers, preachers, and our teachers, and even our parents. Maybe we need to start thinking for ourselves and following our heart. Um, and so that's, that's, that's what drew me uh, to this literature. And, and even, the, even the works of fiction that many of us were asked to read in high school and college, you know, Moby Dick and Scarlet Letter and uh, Little Women, you know the protagonists. It was the first time you you saw the protagonists in American literature show up as somebody who said, "You know what? this may this may cost me everything, but I have to be true to me." And it's uh, such you know, it's, there's no there's no uh, uh, surprise of why this has lasted the test of time
0: absolutely. All righty. So um we've been talking a little bit around the book. And so I think a way we can dive into the book is to sort of jump into. Um, that hard question as an author is what you know the, the favorite things from the book, but I'm not going to say the one favorite because I know how impossible that is. Yep. But what are your three favorite um quotes? And um, go ahead and read us one so we know what we're talking or so we get a feel for it.
1: Sure, so I'm gonna read you an entire passage, it only takes about two minutes. Every Every day is um. Starts with a title, and then a, a reading that I curated, and then uh, 100 to 200 words from me, and then I leave you every day with a what I call a challenge question. So, in a lot of ways, it's you know every page is kind of three parts: it's the ancient literature, it's my hopefully making it uh, contextual for today, or at least in my experience, and then and then the question. And it's kind of funny I hear from different people about which parts you know they like. Some people love the question. Some people just love getting into this old literature. Um, another thing that was kind of fun is <clears throat> I didn't want to just go with the, you know, the the Pinterest boards and the, you know, the the uh, um, Instagram quotes. I went really deep and did a lot of research and unearthed a lot of writers that are probably not familiar uh, to people, particularly a lot of the female authors because they just, you know, their works weren't really uh, widely uh, um, circulated. So this is uh, from uh, actually from Margaret Fuller, who anybody who studied feminist uh, literature in college knows. Not a whole lot of other people. Title is, You Are Enough Right Now. All around us lies what we neither understand nor use. Our capacities, our instincts for this, our present sphere are but half developed. Let us confine ourselves to that till the lesson be learned. Let us be completely natural before we trouble ourselves with the supernatural. I never see any of these things, but I long to get away and lie under a green tree and let the wind blow on me. There is marvel and charm enough in that for me. That's from Margaret Fuller's uh, Summer on the Lakes, uh, which was written in 1844. And my take. (laughs) The call to compete, stay relevant, follow the social media draped existence of others robs us of our focus. And of course, the chase for more belies the fact that we already possess so much. Find less to do, think about and observe. And it's likely you'll discover that your idea, your innovation, your silly little thing that nobody gets is quite perfect. Strip the essence of your business down to no more than two or three priorities each month, each quarter perhaps, and go to work brilliantly on those ideas. New ideas and new ways to make money are tantalizing, but the real fortune is in fully realizing the essential nature of your unique point of view and that is expressed by doing less rather than more. You are enough does not mean that you are everything right now. It says that you had this little idea of yours because you, indeed, you needed to shine a light on something and even though you may need lots of help and you may make lots of mistakes, you trust that right now, at this moment, you've got what it takes. Step back, take in the wind, learn, smile, and stay focused on what's right in front of you. Everything is perfect. Everything is perfect. Everything is perfect right now. Your challenge question today. What is one thing you feel is holding you back? Why are you letting? Well, you just took us to church,
0: John, and I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but, you know, so uh, just this is feedback as far as I go. I've, I've been reading a the book for quite a few months now, and um, I actually, if, if you were to ask me which of those three parts I love the most, it's actually I'd have to say both the first two, right? Because it's the contextualization in your commentary on it, but it's also seeing, well, let me pose it this way. One of the reasons I love philosophy, and I still consider myself one, even though I'm no longer an academic philosopher, is that you realize that you're joining this millennia old, millennia's old conversation. That whatever thought you're dealing with whatever idea, whatever challenge, um, there's a long line of people who have thought about that. Um, and there's different places of sources of wisdom and, and different narratives on that sort of problem. And so, whatever comes up, it's like you're never alone. Yeah. Um, and I, as an entrepreneur, what I'll say is it it gives me a lot of grace to stop worrying about being new and saying something that's never been said before because I realize how much folly there is in that Instead, of saying, like, how can I be useful, <laughs> right? How can I be useful for the people in front of me? Totally. Uh, and so I appreciate that on multiple
1: levels. Um, I'm curious, what makes that one stick out for you? Well, I, I think a lot of, <clears throat> to me, that idea of you're enough right now, um, because I, I I think the challenge for a lot of people is they they compare, they see what other people are doing, they beat themselves up because they're not you know doing that, and I think it or doing what they think they should be doing, and I think until you can. I think until you can accept that you know what you have right now, you know what you've built right now is enough. You know, enough is never going to be enough, um, and so that's why that one's really important to me because I see a lot of people struggle with that. And you know, what are we really trying to do? I mean, in in this thing, ultimately, what impact are we trying to have? We don't. We we we, we sort of lose sight of that when what we're doing is is changing what we think will make us happy someday.
0: Yeah. And I would just want to weigh in here because this is—we mentioned a little bit about it being countercultural to think about enoughness, yeah. um, insufficiency in small in small business or any business. Because on the one hand, um, I was talking to someone who was an Uber driver driving me back from a speaking gig, and he was talk—he was—he would talk to me about how much tension he was having. Um, from listening to Dave Ramsey talk about like people who are building hobby businesses where there's no that can't scale and it you know, it can't pet loop past them. And he's like, but what the business I'm wanting to build is a small family business. Um and so, you know, it's it's he was trying to figure out in another way of saying this is like, how can his version of enough? be reconciled with this particular point of view about what business means. Um, and so sort of what I told him in, the, in that moment is like what we have to understand is that the benefit and beauty of small business is that we get to define what enough looks like and what we're doing. We don't have to play that game. We don't have to build a business that scales if what we're really trying to do is to build something that feeds our family and gives jobs to our local community. It may be that four to six people is enough
1: and beautiful, and that's the size of the business. How about you lean into that? Well, I I think there's absolutely you know no question that that, and I, and I think that's the idea of self reliance is you get to decide, um, and you're not influenced by you know what other people say you should be doing or or what you see or what you've been taught. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of you know, a lot of the stress that people carry, let's face it, you know, they were told as children, this is what you're supposed to do, you know, (laughs) and, and, you know, being able to some, at at some point, you know, release that um, is, you know, for many, the first time they feel true joy and happiness in what they are pursuing. Um, You know, it's, I remember when I was growing up, you know, you're in high school, and and grade school, and it's like, you know, you want to be like all the kids, and you want to follow, you know, what's going on. And there were always those kids, like, you know, whatever names people gave to them, but they were different. Um, and, you know, those are the people that, that, you know, they probably ultimately felt tortured at the time, but those were the people, the only people that had figured it out, <laughs> you know, at such a young age, you know, I mean, they, unfortunately they probably suffered, you know, from, uh, from, you know, sticking to that, but you know, though, I always look at those, and, and it's fun now. You know, to look back. I'm I'm almost 60, and you know, I still run into some of my you know college friends, and some some of those ones are high school friends. Even some of those ones that you know that that you know had it figured out early. You know, have have uh, enjoyed you know the, the, some of the most success. You know, in terms of how people kind of rate that. Um, you know, more than anyone. So it's uh, it's a, it's a great lesson yeah, well,
0: I'll say it for maybe more contextualized for like my generation is like it's those folks, especially with the rise of online business that you talked about, where you didn't have to conform. you didn't necessarily have to have um, the standard look and fit in the box a certain way that has enabled a lot of people to have a unique voice, a unique business, a unique way of showing up in the world that now they're getting, you know, economic benefits from. Um, and so
1: and they can find their tribe
0: you know, too. I mean, that's the other deal. (laughs) That's huge. It's huge, right? Um, Just, um, I think we take for granted um, that the major innovation of the internet for most of us is not necessarily the business aspect, but like, there's always a tribe out there no matter what you do. You know, if you're that person, and I'll steal this from Merlin Mann, who said it back in South by Southwest, I think in 2010, is like, if you know the lineage of the Wookiees on Tatooine, right, there's someone out there that you can find that you can compare notes with, right? Yeah. Um, and that's never been possible before to that degree. Yep, yep, yep. Absolutely. All right. So, so two more quotes. Um, you, sh- you know, if you want to read them, that's great. But if you sort of want to talk about them, like, I'm really interested in the themes and
1: what speak to you. So give us two more. Okay. Um, gosh, I don't want to. I was. I threw open a page and I was going to read another Margaret Fuller, but I already did her. So let's go to somebody else. There's so much Emerson in this thing that I, I should be able to. <laughs> I'm reading them myself. I'm having a good time. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Forgot about your audience there. Um, you know an. Um, Another writer that I, I, I'm sure I read the Scarlet Letter um, in you know high school or was assigned to me, but uh, that was another fun thing about going back and reading some of these things. You're like, wow, I should have paid more attention. Um, so this is from Nathaniel Hawthorne. Amid the seeming confusion of our mysterious world, individuals are so nicely adjusted to a system, and system one another. That by stepping aside for a moment, a person exposes themselves to a fearful risk of losing their place forever. And the reason I love that is because I think that that captures some of the the angst, you know, when people uh, decide I'm not going to be an attorney anymore. You know, I'm going to go out there and you know lead e- eco tours because <laughs> you know that's who I am. But at some point, you know, somebody's telling them, you know you're never going to recover from this. You know, your career is, is tanked. I mean, or maybe they're telling themselves that, you know, um, but uh, that that uh, you know, I think a lot of on, most entrepreneurs, particularly people that you know, I, being an entrepreneur is kind of all I've done, <laughs> but a lot of people had, you know, careers that they, you know, scratched and climbed the ladder and, you know, and then just finally one day went, I've had it. You know, I can't do this anymore. And I'm sure those uh, those folks in particular you know, have dealt with, you um, you know, demons, both seen and unseen.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I'll I'll speak to the other end of the perspective, because I could think of a few people who had fantastic jobs that they loved and were good at, but they knew that there was more in them than the job would ever allow them to do. And so it's like, how do you leave a job at Google? Yeah. To yeah. start your own business. Are you kidding me? How do you leave a job at Nike? How do you leave a job when you're ed and you're a manager to go do this thing to where you're not going to make any money? You're probably going to fail because of all the statistics and blah, 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 blah. Right. How dare you give up our version of success? Yeah. Well, to go yeah. find your version of success is really two or three
1: levels under that conversation. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how often, you know, people's concerns and, and opinions are, are really born out of their own fear, um, you know, of, of you know, they're, they're not willing to do it, <laughs> you know, they're scared to do it, so it's a stupid idea.
0: <laughs> yeah, it reminds me, and I'm going to butcher the quote, but it's like, never follow the maps made by people who have never gone where you're trying to go, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and so many people have these maps for what you should and shouldn't do and what's going to work or not work. It's like, you've never done this. How can you yeah. know? Right. What's yeah. going to work and what's not going to work. So we got one more quote, John.
1: Hit me. Yeah, there's a whole lot of courses on Facebook right now that uh, are, are doing that same thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Let's go to Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, and uh, gratitude is, uh, is certainly one of the, uh, the pillars. Cultivate the habit of being grateful for every good thing that comes to you. And to give thanks continuously. And because all things have contributed to your advancement, you should include all things in your gratitude. So I love that one because I I think that, you know, I I think a lot of times, you know, we get really, uh, we start feeling sorry for ourselves, you know, because something's not working out the way. And, you know, in hindsight, there's so many things that I thought was a failure that just taught me so much that I should definitely be thankful. For them actually, I actually had to testify of a grand jury um, because one of my clients um, committed a felon um, at the time that sound that seemed like the worst thing that could have ever happened to me um, I pointed that as the turning point in my business um, because of that experience it was such a wake-up for me <laughs> that that I am forever grateful that I that I got to experience that but certainly at the time I'm not sure I would have said that um, so uh, you know and I think a lot of you know uh, gratitude and and giving thanks and being grateful something that that you know a lot of books are being written on now. A lot of people are talking about. It. You can find articles on Forbes and Inc. and Entrepreneur that you know that that mention that as a practice. But to me, it just has a magical power. I mean, you can't be negative and grateful at the same time. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you have to be mindful um, and be in the present moment to be grateful. So they're just you know on top of it being a great spiritual practice, there just are a lot of really practical reasons to uh, establish a, a a practice, an intentional practice of of giving thanks for you know many, many things that are in your life, yeah, I want to jump into the neuroscience of gratitude real
0: quick, um which is not just of gratitude, but it's of um, really practicing a, a particular worldview is what it does is, you know, one thing that we have to understand is that observation, I'll say it the philosopher way, the, the behavioral economics say it another way, but observation is theory laden. Meaning whenever you're looking out into the world, you're you we think that we're seeing data points and that's informing our theory, but it's actually right. the opposite. Our theory informs what we can see. Um, and so the more we have a theory, as it were, of gratitude, the more we have a theory of these things, the more we'll be able to see it. Yeah. And I mentioned the neurology of it, the more it, it's the what fire or what what fires together wires together, sort of thing, right? The more that you're practicing this worldview, the more that your brain just gets used to seeing that, and that becomes your default. And so I remember reading a book. John, a few years ago, um, and it was about an author who had to work so hard to have a positive mindset. Um, she, you know, they were really negative, and so most of the book was about how they could develop a positive mindset, and I was like, that's so interesting for me, because um, because maybe some of the practices, maybe where it is, is like it's hard, like I, having a negative mindset is unusual for me. Like I know something's wrong when I have that, as opposed to my natural state. And I don't know that it's a matter of character. I mean, it can be a matter of character, but it can also just be explained by brain chemistry, right? That That's your default. If your default is gratitude, that's yeah. what you're going to see, and that's what you're going to put out there in the world much more so because that's your theory of the world.
1: Yeah, and I, and I would say the flip side of that is I think understanding what you just explained creates a lot of empathy too, because you realize nobody sees the world as it is. Like nobody, this person that's getting mad in the situation doesn't have all the facts or doesn't you know see the you know what's gone on here. And I think when you, I, I think you know when you fully accept that, it's not only like you say it not only creates that point of view, but I, to me it actually allows me to be more empathetic when somebody does something that that seems odd to me.
0: Yeah. And, and to your point, like I learned throughout um, my book launch for start finishing. Um, and I had to learn this very, very early on because, I mean, let's face it, I, you know, any strategist is a control freak. I'm a strategist, therefore, I'm a control freak in a way. Right. And so I would look out and I'd see, like, this isn't working. And that's not working. That's not going the way I wanted it to. And then, every time I looked back at that point in time from two weeks point later, like I realized I was actually doing better in that moment than I thought I was doing. Mm-hmm. I just didn't have the data, and I didn't have the perspective. Yeah. And so, after enough of experiencing that, I was like, well, whatever I feel right now is incomplete. Two weeks from now, my working assumption should be that I'm going to be doing better than what I think right now. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because that's been true the whole time. Yeah. Um, And that remains true. Like every every time I'm like, oh well, sales are here or impacts here or whatever. Two weeks later, I get another data point or some more data points. I'm like, well, I was wrong then. So, um, so being grateful in some ways, you know, how I'm tying that to gratitude is like, on the one hand, understanding that everything you're going through right now is adding to something. And a lot of a lot of times in that moment, you can't
1: see the sum of what's being created. Absolutely. Yeah, and and I think we have a tendency as human beings to, you know, to make everything seem worse than it's ever going to be or better than it's ever going to be. So, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's both ends of the spectrum, and I don't know why why our ability to see reality is is so off both sides. Um, so you know, every book has well. You have more experience with this, so my experience and my client's experience thus far has been that every book has its own particular challenge, um, just something that shows up. Um, for this particular book, what was the, say, unique challenge of this book for you?
1: Well, um, the, probably the hardest thing was uh, the fact that it's three hundred and sixty-six, you know, individual thoughts, you know, and and uh, turns out. That it's actually harder to write short than it is to write long. <laughs> um, you know, I can write ten thousand words on you know how to do something with your website because you know I'm just telling people. Eh, here's what I do. You, you might try it. It might work for you. Um, and I can you know I can go on for ten thousand words, but uh, you know I was constrained to a page, which I, I'm not sure exactly what the word count is, but not over two hundred fifty words. And my my. Um, Objective, at least, was to have at least one kind of crisp, like, ringing thought that made you go, "Whoa!" Um, and 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 you know, we'll see if I if I accomplish that. And 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 it'll be different for other for many many people. So, but that was kind of my my what I felt like my chore was. The other thing, um, just from a practical standpoint, I curated a ton of literature, and just just actually figuring out how to organize it was. Uh, was another uh, uh, challenge. I, I, you know, I started by just reading and highlighting stuff. And then I thought, well, how how am I going to get my arms around any of this? And so, um, I decided um, to I wrote a blog post about four years ago called The Seasons of the Entrepreneur. Um, And it was kind of my, like, retelling of what I, how I thought, you know, things. And, And there isn't just one, like, Advancement through these repeated times, you know, I've started over again and kind of gone through them. And so, in each season, I gave uh, each month a theme, and you know, given the calendar, you know, format, the the metaphor of the season worked perfectly. And then, you know, giving each month a theme, what it allowed me to do is now go out and say, okay, what did Emerson have to say about resilience, you know, or trust, as opposed to me just writing stuff and thinking, oh, that's a good thought. So, you know, then I turned the curation part, at least, into kind of a spreadsheet project.
0: I totally get that. You know, when I was reading the book, um, I I always find ways to admire other authors and what they've done. But I was like, man, there's no way. Not there's no way. I appreciated the challenge of constraining yourself to 200 words with such meaty quotes because I was like, man, I I would struggle with that particular thing because I my natural writing length is at least 800 words. So I got to cut that by, you know, I got to cut that by a quarter and then say something Insightful after an insightful quote, so I definitely wanted to witness that. That that's quite a challenge to be able to get this on one page, and I think you did
1: stellarly with it. Yeah, the um, you know, and it wasn't laid out in in the book too, and so I think there were about thirty pages, uh, maybe more that that my publisher sent back and said you have to make this shorter. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: totally totally get that. Yeah, so. I'm I'm always fascinated around books that are quote books or compilations because um, it's often the case that you'll run across a quote that really just rings your bell in the sense of it challenges you, you'll fight with it, and then maybe two weeks later, you see the wisdom or you see what you were grappling with. Did you have
1: one of those that ended up in the book? Well, there's one that always gets me, um, and it's from Walden. Um Why should we be in such desperate haste to succeed and in such desperate enterprises? If a person does not keep pace with their companions, perhaps it is because they hear a different drummer. Let them step to the music which they hear, however measured and far away. Is it not important important (laughs) that you should mature as soon as an apple or an oak shall you turn your spring into summer?" And you know, I think on the surface that's pretty simple, (laughs) but um, I I think when you go kind of deeper, it's it's not just say you know, it's not just saying be you. Um, I think it's I think it's saying you have to that there might only be one you, Um, and your job is to figure out who that is. Um, And I, you know, I'm not sure I'm there. I'm not sure many people are. Uh, but but I do think it's a lifelong um, you know obsession or should be.
0: you know, I'm glad you picked that one because as you were saying it, I heard something different, which is again why I love books like this, which are both internally conversational, meaning that they'll spark in conversation with yourself. But if you share this with other people, different people will hear different things. And so um what I heard, especially in the context of entrepreneurship and even diving more deeply to online entrepreneurship, is one of the places of suffering that so many online entrepreneurs have is that idea of the overnight success and instant. And if it takes you a year or two, it's taken you forever because some other person had that overnight streak and things like that. And so the, yeah, I think it was the point about the deliberate hurry, yeah, um, yeah. where it's like, you know, um, the, w- there are sort of two things that are maturing at the same time, especially when you're in an online business or any business. One is your market. Um, and maturing to your business and warming up. And that just takes time because you can't dictate what other people are going to do and at the pace are going to do it. But there's also yourself yeah. that's developing at the same time. So you have these two twins that are growing at sometimes the same speed, sometimes different speeds, but there's this desire, this, this expectation. That you know, you took the you, you mentioned the Facebook course. You took the course. Um, it gave you the seven steps, and it yeah. said you can get there in thirty days. Yeah. You know, it's been three months. You're not there. What's yeah. wrong? It's taken too long. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, and I, I, that's that's what I love about some of these timeless quotes is because you get there and. A way that I would encourage readers to also think about this, if you're if you're picking up the book, is um, John's done a great job of giving it, you know, for instance, March eighteenth, like resist much, right? Um, that's actually not the way that I read the book. Um, so I read the book by basically flipping through, and there'll be a quote that jumps out t- at me. And I've done I've read enough of these types of things and enough philosophy to know that you go with where there's that. Um, Insight, you know. So that's usually what I do. It. Some days I don't have that. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to go with the default that John given, John's given me. So for those creative resistors out there, the, excuse me, those creative rebels out there that you know want to do it your own way, a great way of doing this is just flipping through this until you find one that really speaks to where you're at, then
1: leaning into it and working with it. Yeah, and I I'm hearing that actually from people. Some people are just, you know, they just it's in their morning ritual. Uh they just, you know, they do it, the page and they journal on, you know, maybe the prompt even and and kind of go through it. But and you know, I talked to somebody just yesterday and he said, Yeah, I I read it about once a week and I just read the whole week, you know, at one time because it's great with a cup of coffee and and just as you said, jumping around. I I I actually of course I wrote it all um but i that 's actually my preferred way um, I do read every day um in fact i one of the things that I started doing is um you know my wife 's not a part of the business, although you know any entrepreneur knows that you know she's a significant part of the business um if nothing else, you know just having to experience my you know ups and downs and highs and lows uh, in doing it but uh, we've been reading these together and it kind of um it kind of gives us a uh, something else to talk about, you know, that's not the business per se. And I I know I've talked to some business partners and, and other uh, um, spouses that have, uh, that work together, you know, in the business. And they said, yeah, it's, it's given them a, you know, a nice prompt to, to kind of cover some ground that maybe, you know, they wouldn't have without the prompt.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the first things I, after I read it for about two or three weeks, I was like, man, I want John to send me a daily email with one of these. Um, but I was like, that's quite a lift because 3 hundred sixty six and getting in there and blah, blah blah, right. there's all those types of things. but definitely reading it consistently and and sharing those conversations are a really good um way to go about experiencing the book. Um I'm gonna roll back a little bit as we're starting to wrap up because I'm always interested like when you we write books, um sometimes, we write the book that we need. Um, Sometimes we write the book and there's a part we didn't know that we needed that popped out to us. And so, of your seven different principles of, or pillars of self-reliance, which one is the biggest growth edge for you right now?
1: Well, this has been, I think, for a long time, um, non-judgment is something that um, I'm very aware of. And so, maybe I'm you I'm know, hard on myself I'm judging myself some uh, but it, it's one that um, that that you really can catch yourself you know not only worrying about stuff that's going on but just judging everything um, and you know it's it's um, to me it's the thing that probably Robs and, and what's funny is people aren't aware of it you know it's like somebody cut you off in traffic you don't like what that person's wearing you know why did that person say that I mean it's just constantly going on in our heads and I don't think that we probably give enough credit for the. The 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 you know the mental wear and tear that that has and and it's not just bad things you know I think it's it's judging something as really good too and thinking you know I've made it now um, so you know that is something that uh, you know I've really made a conscious uh, do make a conscious effort every day to to try to uh, to reserve judgment on anything as uh, either good or bad. That's a great one
0: and. Um what, what I've learned from practicing non-judgment more is it also makes practicing patience a lot easier, sure. right? Sure. Because um, where we are impatient is largely because we have certain expectations and certain evaluations of, a, of an experience or an event. So, when yeah. you pause and say, maybe I don't know, or maybe it's neither good nor bad, or maybe it's both, maybe, um, you know, maybe it defies that type of classification, yeah. then it makes it easier to be patient about whatever else is going on.
1: My favorite uh, practice for that, um, and I know you travel a lot as well, but you know travel, you know can be a nightmare. People are idiots, you know <laughs> when, they're, when they're you know and it's just like I when I travel now, that's I basically say I'm just I'm just gonna put on my happy face, you know, and I'm just gonna whatever happens happens, nothing's gonna ruffle me. Um, I'm gonna be as kind as I can to everybody that I encounter. and uh, it, it's a great place to practice it
0: for sure. Yeah my my working one for that one is a um Quote from Ian McLaren and that often gets attributed to Plato, which is, um, "Be kind for everyone you meet is everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle." Yeah. And so when I'm traveling, I'm, I just look, imagine everyone else has their own battle that they're that they're fighting, and it could be in that moment that I can see, or it could be you know they might be getting on a plane to go visit their sick mom, right? Or they might be you know going on a plane because they're moving to leave their you know to leave a um, relationship that they're divorcing from. Like there's all sorts of things that you've never known. So it just when someone does whatever people do, I'm like, you know what? I don't know what they're going through right now, <laughs> um, and so the best thing is just to be
1: kind, right? There's a, a St- uh, Stephen Covey quote, although I think uh, again it's probably attributed to somebody else, but it showed up in his uh, Seven Habits book uh, that I read years ago, and it's, no one sees the world uh, as it is; we only see the world as we see it, um, and that you know that he tells a whole story about that. You know, it's just what that reminded me, um, you know, of of that that we don't know what's going on in people's worlds.
0: Yeah, great. All right. So John is the guest on today's episode, you get to leave our readers with an invitation or a challenge, depending upon which which resonates most with you most with you. So based upon what we've talked about today, what would you either invite or challenge our listeners to do?
1: Well, I think that right now uh, we were, we are recording this in February, and I picked the uh, pillar of mindfulness um, to be kind of my you know entire month. And uh, I'm actually doing, if people are interested, I have a daily self-reliance group on Facebook, and I'm actually doing uh, a live you know every every day in uh, February um, that uh, um, that is talking about some aspect of, uh, mindfulness. Uh, so I would, uh, challenge people to try to explore and, in you know, there's tons of great books on this, uh, uh, there's uh, tons of you know places you can read, but to to maybe establish you know one or two mindfulness practices, breathing, you know meditation, you know journaling, walking, exploring new things, you know whatever it takes for you. Gratitude, frankly, is a, a mindfulness of uh, um, you know practice uh, for for me. So you know try to establish a, a habit that that it, it once or twice or three times a day snaps you back to go oh. I'm, you know, I'm here right in front of, uh, you know, my business. Uh, you know, what, what, what's the most important thing I should be doing?
0: Great, John. Thanks so much for um, coming on the podcast. I look forward to our future conversations, and I know there's another book in you, so I'm um, forward to talking about that as well. Awesome. Well, thanks, Charlie.
1: It was great uh, being here, and uh, I think I'm going to have you on my podcast. Have we done? We haven't done that yet.
0: We, we haven't done do it. That. Let's do
1: it. Let's, let's do it. All right. All right, listeners,
0: you heard it from John. February is a great month to establish a mindfulness practice. It's early enough in the year that you can reap the benefit of it all year, um, but not so late that maybe you have so much that you're trying to recover from. So what can you do in February and March to develop a mindset practice, or excuse me, a mindfulness practice that helps you become more self-reliant, that helps you thrive, and that helps you stay focused on what matters most? Until next time, stand tall